Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to your Friday episode from your host, the Tale Teller. Now, I'm still under the weather, but feeling much, much better. Surviving off hot honey tea and scones. Yum. But yeah, still hacking up my lungs. I'll be refraining from doing any extra narration like my usual thank yous at the end of the episode, but a huge thank you now to my patrons up front. Things will be returning back to normal Monday for sure. In today's episode, I'm sharing with you a Scottish folk tale specifically around haunted ships, and in particular, a set of anthologies told by Scottish characters who have each their own unique tale to share, written in early 1889. Yep, all the way back then. So yeah, just like you lot, special and unique. Now this episode is a two-parter that I'll finish off for you lovelies on Monday, alongside the Sherlock Holmes Remastered episode, so stick with me then as well to hear the rest of this story out. Now folks, turn up the sound and get somewhere cosy, and let's listen to some Scottish folklore. Enjoy. Though my mind's not hoodwinked with rustic marvels, I do think there are more things in the grove, the air, the flood, and the charnelled earth, that what wise man who walks so proud, as if his form alone filled the wide temple of the universe, will let a frail mind say, I'd write I the creed, O the sagest head alive, that fearful forms, holy or reprobate, through page men's heels, that shapes too horrid for our gaze stand o'er the murderer's dust, and for revenge glare up, even till the stars weep fire for very pity. Along the sea of Solway, romantic on the Scottish side, with its woodland, its bays, its cliffs, and headlands, and interesting on the English side, with its many beautiful towns, with their shadows on the water, rich pastures, safe harbours, and numerous ships, there still linger many traditional stories of a maritime nature, most of them connected with superstitions singularly wild and unusual. To the curious, these tales afford a rich fund of entertainment. From the many diversities of the same story, some dry and barren, and stripped of all the embellishments of poetry, others dressed out in all the riches of a superstitious belief and haunted imagination. In this, they resemble the inland traditions of the peasants, but many of the oral treasures of the Galwegian or the Cumbrian coast have the stamp of the Dane and the Norsemen upon them, and claim but a remote or faint affinity with the legitimate legends of Caledonia, something like a rude, prosaic outline of several of the most noted of the northern ballads, the adventures and depredations of the old ocean kings still lend life to the evening tale, and, among others, the story of the haunted ships is still popular among the maritime peasantry. One fine harvest evening, I went on board the shallop of Richard Falder, of Allen Bay, and Committing ourselves to the water, we allowed a gentle wind from the east to waft us at its pleasure towards the Scottish coast. We passed the sharp promontory of Siddick 
and skirting the land within a stone cast, glided along the shore till we came within sight of the ruined abbey of Sweetheart. The green mountain of Griffel ascended beside us, and the bleat of the flocks from its summit, together with the winding of the evening horn of the reapers, came softened into something like music over land and sea. We pushed our shallop into a deep and wooded bay, and sat silently looking on the serene beauty of the place. The moon glimmered in her rising through the tall shafts of the pines of Caleb Rock, and the sky with scarce a cloud showered down on wood and headland and bay the twinkling beams of a thousand stars, rendering every object visible. The tide, too, was coming with the swift and silent swell observable when the wind is gentle. The woody curves along the land were filling with the flood, till it touched the green branches of the drooping trees. While in the centre current the roll and the plunge of a thousand pillocks told to the experienced fishermen that salmon were abundant. As we looked, we saw an old man emerging from a path that wound to the shore through a grove of dotted hazel. He carried a half-net on his back, while behind him came a girl, bearing a small harpoon, with which the fishes are remarkably dexterous in striking their prey. The senior seated himself on a large grey stone, which overlooked the bay, laid aside his bonnet, and submitted his bosom and neck to the refreshing sea breeze, and, taking his harpoon from his attendant, sat with the gravity and composure of a spirit of the flood, with his ministering nymph behind him. We pushed Arshal up to the shore, and soon stood at their side. This is old Mark McMorrin, the mariner, with his granddaughter Barbara, said Richard Folder, in a whisper that had something of fear in it. He knows every creek and cavern and quicksand in Solway. He's seen the spectre hound that haunts the Isle of Man, has heard him bark, as every bark has seen a ship sink, and he has seen, too, the haunted ships in full sail, and, if all tales be true, he has sailed in them himself. He's an awful person. Though I perceived in the communication of my friend something of the superstition of the sailor, I could not help think that common rumour had made a happy choice in singling out old Mark to maintain her intercourse with the invisible world. His hair, which seemed to have refused all intercourse with the comb, hung matted upon his shoulders, a kind of mantle, or rather blanket, pinned with a wooden skewer round his neck, fell mid-leg down, concealing all his nether garments as far as a pair of hose, darned with yarn of all conceivable colours, and a pair of shoes, patched and repaired till nothing of the original structure remained, and clasped on his feet with two massy silver buckles. If the dress of the old man was rude and sordid, that of his granddaughter was gay and even rich. She wore a bodice of fine wool, wrought round the bosom with alternate leaf and lily, and a kirtle of the same fabric which, almost touching her white and delicate ankle, showed her snowy feet, so fairy light and round that they scarcely seemed to touch the grass where she stood. Her hair, a natural ornament, which women seek so much to improve, was of bright glossy brown, and encumbered rather than adorned with a snood, 
set thick with marine productions, among which the small, clear pearl found in the Solway was conspicuous. Nature had not trusted to a handsome shape, and a slight like air for young Barbara's influence over the heart of man, but had bestowed a pair of large, bright blue eyes, swimming in liquid light, so full of love and gentleness and joy that all the sailors from Annenwater to far St. Bees acknowledged their power and sang songs about the bonny lass of Mark McMorran. She stood holding a small gaff hook of polished steel in her hand and seemed not dissatisfied with the glances I bestowed on her from time to time, and which I held more than requited by a single glance of those eyes which retained so many capricocious hearts in subjection. The tide, though rapidly augmenting, had not yet filled the bay at our feet. The moon now streamed fairly over the tops of Caverlock Pines, and showed the expanse of ocean dimpling and swelling, on which sloops and shallops came dancing, and displaying at every turn their extent of white sail against the beam of the moon. I looked on old Mark the Mariner, who, seated motionless on his grey stone, kept his eye fixed on the increasing waters, with a look of seriousness and sorrow, in which I saw little of the calculating spirit of a mere fisherman. Though he looked on the coming tide, his eyes seemed to dwell, particularly on the black and decayed hulls of two vessels, which, half immersed in the quicksand, still addressed to every heart a tale of shipwreck and desolation. The tide wheeled and foamed around them, and creeping inch by inch up the side, at last fairly threw its waters over the top, and a long and hollow eddy showed the resistance which the liquid element received. The moment they were fairly buried in the water, the old man clasped his hands together and said, Blessed be the tide that will break over and bury ye forever. Sad to mariners and sorrowful to maids and mothers, has the time been you have choked up this deep and bonny bay, for evil were you sent, and for evil have you continued. Every season finds from you its song of sorrow and wail, its funeral processions, and its shrouded courses. Woe to the land where the wood grew that made ye, cursed by the axe that hewed ye on the mountains, the hands that joined ye together, the bay that ye first swam in, and the wind that wafted ye here. Seven times have ye put my life in peril. Three fair sons have ye swept from my side, and two bonny grand beyonds. And now, even now, your waters foam and flash for my destruction. Did I venture my infirm limbs in quest of food in your deadly bay? I see by that ripple and that foam, and hear by the sound and singing of your surge, that ye yearn for another victim. But it shall not be me nor mine. Even as the old mariner addressed himself to the wrecked ships, a young man appeared at the southern extremity of the bay, holding his halfnet in his hand, and hastening into the current. Mark rose and shouted, and waved him back from a place which, to a person unacquainted with the dangers of the bay, real and superstitious, seemed sufficiently perilous. His granddaughter, too, added her voice to his and waved her white hands. But the more they strove, the faster advanced the peasant, till he stood in his middle in the water while the tide increased every moment in depth and strength. Andrew, 
Andrew, cried the young woman, in a voice quavering with emotion. Turn, turn, I tell you. Oh, the ships, the haunted ships. But the appearance of a fine run of fish had more influence with the peasant than the voice of Bonnie Barbara, and forward he dashed, net in hand. In a moment he was borne off his feet, and mingled like foam with the water, and hurried towards the fatal eddies, which whirled and roared around the sunken ships. But he was a powerful young man, and an expert swimmer. He seized on one of the projecting ribs of the nearest hulk, and cling to it with the grasping of despair, uttered yell after yell, sustaining himself against the prodigious rush of the current. From a shilling of turf and straw, within the pitch of a bar, from the spot where we stood, came out an old woman, bent with age and leaning on a crutch. I heard the voice of that lad Andrew Lammy, be drowning that his skills say uncannily, said the old woman, seating herself on the ground and looking earnestly at the water. Oh, I, she continued, he's doomed, he's doomed, heart and hand can never save him, boats, ropes, and man's strength and wit all vain, vain, he's doomed. By this time I threw myself into the shallop, followed reluctantly by Richard Folder, over whose courage and kindness of heart superstition had great power, and with one push from the shore, and some exertion in sculling. We came within a court cast of the unfortunate fisherman. He stayed not to profit by our aid, for when he perceived us near, he uttered a piercing shriek of joy, and bounded towards us, through the agitated element, the full length of an oar. I saw him for a second on the surface of the water, but the eddying current sucked him down, and all I ever beheld of him again was his hand held above the flood and clutching in agony at some imaginary aid. I sat gazing in horror on the vacant sea before us, but a breathing time before, a human being, full of youth and strength and hope, was there. His cries were still ringing in my ears and echoing in the woods, and now nothing was seen or heard save the turbulent expanse of water and the sound of its chaffing on the shores. We pushed back our shallop, and resumed our station on the cliff beside the old mariner, and his descendant. Wherefore sought ye to peril your own lives fruitlessly, said Mark, in attempting to save the doomed. Whoso touches those infernal ships never survives to tell the tale. Woe to the man who has found nigh them at midnight, when the tide has subsided, and they arise in their former beauty, with forecastle and deck and sail and pennon and shroud. Then is seeing the streaming of lights along the water from their cabin windows, and then is heard the sound of mirth, and the clamour of tongues, and the infernal whoop and hollow and song, ringing far and wide. Woe to the man who comes nigh them, to all this my Albany companion listened with a breathless attention. I felt something touched, with a superstition to which I partly believed I had seen one victim offered up, and I inquired of the old mariner. How and when come these haunted ships there? To me they seem but the melancholy relics of some unhappy voyagers, 
and much more likely to warn people to shun destruction than entice and delude them to it. And so, said the old man with a smile, which had more of sorrow in it than of mirth, and so, young man, these black and shattered hulks seem to the eye of multitude, but things are not what they seem. That water, a kind and convenient servant to the wants of man, which seems so smooth and so dimpling and so gentle, has swallowed up a human soul every now, and the place which it covers, so fair and so level, is a faithless quicksand, out of which none escape. Things are otherwise than they seem. Had you lived as long as I have, had the sorrow to live, had you seen the storms, and braved the perils, and endured the distresses which have befallen me, had you sat gazing out on the dreary ocean at midnight on a haunted coast, had you seen comrade after comrade, brother after brother, and son after son swept away by the merciless ocean from your very side, had you seen the shapes of friends doomed to the wave and the quicksand appearing to you in the dreams and visions of the night, then would your mind have been prepared for crediting the maritime legends of mariners, and the two haunted Danish ships would have had their terrors for you, as they have for all who sojourn on this coast. Of the time and the cause of their destruction, continued the old man, I know nothing certain. They have stood as you have seen them for uncounted time, and while all other ships wrecked on this unhappy coast have gone to pieces and rotted and sunk away in a few years, these two haunted hulks have neither sunk in the quicksand nor has a single spar or board been displaced. Maritime legend says that two ships of Denmark, having had permission for a time to work deeds of darkness and dolor on the deep, were at last condemned to the whirlpool and the sunken rock, and were wrecked in this bonny bay as a sign to seamen to be gentle and devout. The night when they were lost was a harvest evening of uncommon mildness and beauty. The sun had newly set, the moon came brighter and brighter out, and the reapers laying their sickles at the root of the standing corn stood on rock and bank, looking at the increasing magnitude of the waters. For sea and land were visible from St. Bees to Barnery. The sails of two vessels were soon sent bent for the Scottish coast, and with a speed outrunning the swiftest ship, they approached the dangerous quicksands and headland of Boren Point. On the deck of the foremost ship, not a living soul was seen, or shape, unless something in the darkness and form, resembling a human shadow, could be called a shape, which flitted from extremity to extremity of the ship, with the appearance of trimming the sails, and directing the vessel's course. But the decks of its companion were crowded with human shapes, the captain and mate, and sailor and cabin boy, all seemed there, 
and from them the sound of mirth and minstrelsy echoed over land and water. The coast which they skirted along was one of extreme danger, and the reapers shouted to warn them to beware of sandbanks and rock. But of this friendly counsel, no notice was taken, except that a large and famished dog, which sat on the prow, answered every shout with a long, loud, and melancholy howl. The deep sandbank of Carsthorn was expected to arrest the career of these desperate navigators, but they passed, with the celerity of waterfowl, over an obstruction which had wrecked many pretty ships. Old men shook their heads and departed, saying, We have seen the fiend sailing in a bottomless ship. Let us go home and pray. But one young and willful man said, Fiend! I'll warrant it nay fiend, but do Janet with the shins of the witch, holding a carouse with some of her Cumberland comers, and mickle red wine will be split atween them. Dodd I would gladly have a toothful. I'll warrant it's nane, or your could sour slay water, like a bottle of Billy Shrinkle's port, but right to drap o' oh my heart's blood stuff, that would waken a body out of their last linen. I wonder where the comers will anchor their craft. And I'll vow, said another rustic, the wine they quaff is none of your visionary drink, such as a druthy body has dished out to his lips in a dream, nor is it shadowy and unsubstantial like the vessels they sail in, which are made out of cockle shell or a cast-off slipper or the paring of a seaman's right thumbnail. I once got a hansel out of witches' quags myself, old Marin's Marthas, of Dustyfoot, whom they tried to bury in the old kirkyard of Dunscore. But the comers raised as fast as they laid her down, and nowhere else would she lie but in the bonny green kirkyard of Kier, among douce and sponsible folk. So I'll vow that the wine of witches' cup is as fair liquor as ever did a kindly turn to a poor man's heart, and be they fiends, or be they witches, if they have red wine a steer, I'll risk a drukat sock, for I glorious tout unt. Silence, ye sinners, said the minister's son of a neighboring parish, who untied his own person, his father's lack of devotion, with his mother's love of liquor. Waste, speak as if ye had the fear of something holy before ye. Let the vessels run their own way to destruction. Whom can stay the eastern wind and the current of Solway Sea? I can find ye scripture warrant for that. So let them try their strength on Blohooly rocks and their might on the broad quicksand. There's a surf running there would knock the ribs together of a galley built by the imps of the pit and commanded by the Prince of Darkness. Bonnily and bravely they sail away there. But before the blast blows by, they'll be wrecked, and red wine and strong brandy will be as rife as dyke water, and we'll drink the health of Bonnie Bell Blackness out of her left foot slipper. The speech of the young profligate was applauded by several of his companions, and away they flew to the Bay of Blohooly, from whence they never returned. The two vessels were observed all at once to stop in the bosom of the bay, on the spot where their hulls now appear, the mirth and the minstrelsy waxed louder than ever. 
and the forms of maidens with instruments of music and wine cups in their hands thronged the decks. A boat was lowered, and the same shadowy pilot who conducted the ships made it start toward the shore with the rapidity of lightning, and its head knocked against the bank where the four young men stood who longed for the unblessed drink. They leaped in with a laugh, and with a laugh were they welcomed on deck. Wine cups were given to each, and as they raised them to their lips, the vessels melted away beneath their feet, and one loud shriek, mingled with laughter still louder, was heard over land and water for miles. Nothing more was heard or seen till the morning, when the crowd who came to the beach saw with fear and wonder the two haunted ships, soon as they are now, masts and tackle gone, nor mark nor sign, by which their name, country, or destination could be known, was left remaining. Such is the tradition of the mariners, and its truth has been attested by families whose sons and whose fathers have been drowned in the haunted bay of Blahuli. And trow ye, said the old woman, who, attracted by her hut, by the drowning cries of the young fisherman, had remained an auditor of the mariner's legend. And trow ye, Mark McMorrin, that the tale of the haunted ship is done. I can say no to that. Mickle have mine ears heard, but more mine eyes have witnessed since I came to dwell in this humble home by the side of the deep sea. I mind the night wheel. It was on Hallowman's Eve. The nuts were cracked and the apples were eaten, and spell and charm were tried at my fireside till... Wearied with diving into the dark waves of futurity, the lads and lasses fairly took to the more visible blessings of kind words, tender clasps and gentle courtship, soft words in a maiden's ear, and a kindly kiss o'er her lips, were old-world matters to me, Mark McMarin, though I mean not to say that I have been free of the folly of dawnering and daffing with youth in my day, and keeping tryst with him in dark and lonely places. However, as I say, these times of enjoyment were past and gone with me. The mayor's the pity that pleasure should fly so fast away. And as I could no make sport, I thought I should not mar any. So out I sauntered into the fresh, cold air, and sat down behind that old oak, and looked abroad on the wide sea. I had my ain sad thoughts, ye may think, at the time. It was in that very bay my blithe good man perished with seven more in his company, and on that very bank where ye see the waves leaping and foaming. I saw seven stately courses streaked, but the dearest was the eighth. It was a woeful sight to me, a widow, with four bonny boys, with naught to support them but these twa hands, and God's blessing and a cow's grass. I have never liked to live out of sight of this bay since that time. And money is the moonlight night I sit, looking on these watery mountains and these waste shores. It does my heart good, whatever it may do to my head. So, you see, it was Hallowmas night, and looking on sea and land sat I. And my heart, wandering to other thoughts, soon made me forget my youthful company at home. It might be near the how hour of the night. The tide was making and its singing brought strange old-world stories with it, and I thought on the dangers that sailors endure, the fates they meet with, and the fearful forms they see. 
my own blithe good man, had seen sights that made him grave enough at times, though his eye tried to laugh them away. A wheel atween that very rock aneath us and the coming tide I saw, or thought I saw, for the tale is so dreamlike that the whole might pass for a vision of the night. I saw the form of a man. His plaid was grey, his face was grey, and his hair, which hung low down till it nearly came to the middle of his back, was as white as the white sea foam. He began to hawk and dig under the bank, and God be near me, thought I, this mon be the unblessed spirit of old Adam Godgulpin, the miser, who is doomed to dig for shipwrecked treasure, and count how many millions are hidden forever from man's enjoyment. The form found something which in shape and hue seemed a left-foot slipper of brass. So down to the tide he marched, and placing it on the water, whirled it thrice round, and the infernal slipper dilated at every turn, till it became a bonny barge with its sails bent and on board leapt the form, and scudded swiftly away. He came to one of the haunted ships, and striking it with his oar, a fair ship, with mast and canvas and mariners, started up. He touched the other haunted ship and produced the light transformation, and away the three spectre ships bounded, leaving a track of fire behind them on the billows which was long unextinguished. Now was neither a bonny had fearful sight to see beneath the light of the hollow mass moon, but the tale is far fray finished. For mariners say that once a year, on a certain night, if ye stand on the Boren Point, ye will see the infernal shallops coming snoring through the cellarway. Ye will hear the same laugh and song and mirth, and minstrously which our ancestors heard, seem them bound over the sandbanks and sunken rocks like seagulls, cast their anchor in Blahooly Bay, while the shadowy figures lowers down the boat and augments their numbers with the four unhappy mortals, to whose memory and stone stands in the kirkyard with a sinking ship and a shoreless sea cut upon it. Then the spectre's ship vanishes, and the drowning shriek of mortals and the rejoicing laugh of fiends are heard, and the old hulls are left as a memorial that the old spiritual kingdom has not departed from the earth. But I mourn away, and trim my little cottage fire, and make it burn and blaze upon Bonnie, to warm the crickets and my cold and crazy bones that morns should be laid underneath the green sod in the eerie kirkyard. And away the old dame tottered to her cottage, secured the door on the inside, and soon the hearth flame was seen to glimmer and gleam through the keyhole and window. I'll tell ye what, said the old mariner in a subdued tone and with a shrewd and suspicious glance of his eye after the old sibyl. It's a word that may not very well be uttered, but there are many mistakes made in evening stories. If old Marmoray there, where she lives, knows not mickle more than she's willing to tell of the haunted ships and their unhallowed mariners, she lives uncannily and quietly. No one knows how she is fed or supported, but her dress is eye whole, her cottage ever smokes, and her table lacks neither of wine white and red, nor of fowl and fish, and white bread and brown. It was a dear scoff to Jock Matheson when he called out old Mole, the uncanny carline of Lahooli. His boat ran round and round in the centre of the Solway, 
Everybody said it was enchanted, and down it went, head foremost, and he had not Jock been a swimmer equal to a sheldrake who would have fed the fish. But I'll warrant it sober the lad's speech, and he never reckoned himself safe till he made old Mole the present of a new kirtle and a stone of cheese. And this is where I'll stop for now. Have a great weekend, and as always, till next we meet.